Book 2 Chapter 1 I wish now to review in memory my past wickedness and the carnal corruptions of my soul, not because I still love them, but that I may love thee, O my God. For love of thy love I do this, recalling in the bitterness of self-examination my wicked ways, that thou mayst grow sweet to me, thou sweetness without deception, thou sweetness happy and assured. Thus thou mayest gather me up out of those fragments in which I was torn to pieces, while I turned away from thee, O unity, and lost myself among the many. For as I became a youth, I longed to be satisfied with worldly things, and I dared to grow wild in a succession of various and shadowy loves. My form wasted away, and I became corrupt in thy eyes. Yet I was still pleasing to my own eyes, and eager to please the eyes of men. Chapter 2 But what was it that delighted me, save to love and to be loved? Still, I did not keep the moderate way of the love of mind to mind, the bright path of friendship. Instead, the mists of passion steamed up out of the puddly concupience of the flesh and the hot imagination of puberty, and they so obscured and overcast my heart that I was unable to distinguish pure affection from unholy desire. Both boiled confusedly within me and dragged my unstable youth down over the cliffs of unchaste desires and plunged me into a gulf of infamy. Thy anger had come upon me, and I knew it not. I had been defeated by the clanking of the chains of my mortality, the punishment for my soul's pride, and I wandered farther from thee, and thou didst permit me to do so. I was tossed to and fro, and wasted, and poured out, and I boiled over in my fornications. And yet thou didst hold thy peace, O oh, my tardy joy. Thou didst still hold thy peace, and I wandered still farther from thee into more and yet more barren fields of sorrow, in proud dejection and restless lassitude. If only there had been someone to regulate my disorder and turn to my profit the fleeting beauties of the things around me, and to fix a bound to their sweetness, so that the tides of my youth might have spent themselves upon the shore of marriage. Then they might have been tranquilized and satisfied with having children, as thy law prescribes, O Lord. O thou who dost form the offspring of our death, and art able also with a tender hand to blunt the thorns which were excluded from thy paradise. For thy omnipotence is not far from us, even when we are far from thee. Now on the other hand, I might have given more vigilant heed to the voice from the clouds. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And he that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. I should have listened more attentively 
to these words, and, thus having been, made a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake, I would have, with greater happiness, expected thy embraces. But, fool that I was, I foamed in my wickedness as the sea, and, forsaking thee, followed the rushing of my own tide, and burst out of all thy bounds. But I did not escape thy scourges. For what mortal can do so? Thou wast always by me, mercifully angry, and flavoring all my unlawful pleasures with bitter discontent, in order that I might seek pleasures free from discontent. But where could I find such pleasure save in thee, O Lord? Save in thee, who dost teach us by sorrow, who woundest us to heal us, and dost kill us, that we may not die apart from thee. Where was I, and how far was I exiled from the delights of thy house in that sixteenth year of the age of my flesh, when the madness of lust held full sway in me, that madness which grants indulgence to human shamelessness, even though it is forbidden by thy laws, and I gave myself entirely to it. Meanwhile, my family took no care to save me from ruin by marriage, for their sole care was that I should learn how to make a powerful speech and become a persuasive orator. Chapter 3 Now, in that year my studies were interrupted. I had come back from Medora, a neighboring city where I had gone to study grammar and rhetoric, and the money for a further term at Carthage was being got together for me. This project was more a matter of my father's ambition than of his means, for he was only a poor citizen of Tagesti. To whom am I narrating all this? Not to thee, O my God, but to my own kind in thy presence. To that small part of the human race who may chance to come upon these writings. And to what end? That I and all who read them may understand what depth there are from which we are to cry unto thee. For what is more surely heard in thy ear than a confessing heart and a faithful life? Who did not extol and praise my father, because he went quite beyond his means to supply his son with the necessary expenses for a far journey in the interest of his education? For many far richer citizens did not do so much for their children. Still, this same father troubled himself not at all as to how I was progressing toward thee, nor how chaste I was, just so long as I was skillful in speaking, no matter how barren I was to thy tillage, O God, who art the one true and good Lord of my heart, which is thy field. During that sixteenth year of my age, I lived with my parents, having a holiday from school for a time. This idleness imposed upon me by my parents' straitened finances. The thorn bushes of lust drew rank about my head, and there was no hand to root them out. Indeed, when my father saw me one day at the baths, and perceived that I was becoming a man, and was showing the signs of adolescence, he joyfully told my mother about it, as if already looking forward to grandchildren, 
rejoicing in that sort of inebriation in which the world so often forgets thee its creator and falls in love with thy creature instead of thee the inebriation of that invisible wine of a perverted will which turns and bows down to infamy but in my mother's breast thou hast already begun to build thy temple and the foundation of thy holy habitation whereas my father was only a catechumen and that but recently she was therefore startled with a holy fear and trembling for though i had not yet been baptized she feared those crooked ways in which they walk who turn their backs to thee and not their faces woe is me do i dare affirm that thou didst hold thy peace o my god while i wandered farther from thee didst thou really then hold thy peace then whose words were they but thine which by my mother thy faithful handmaid thou didst pour into my ears none of them however sank into my heart to make me do anything she deplored and as i remember warned me privately with great solicitude not to commit fornication but above all things never to defile another man's wife these appeared to me but womanish counsels which i would have blushed to obey yet they were from thee and i knew it not i thought that thou wast silent and that it was only she who spoke yet it was through her that thou didst not keep silent toward me and in rejecting her counsel i was rejecting thee i her son the son of thy handmaid thy servant but i did not realize this and rushed on headlong with such blindness that among my friends i was ashamed to be less shameless than they when i heard them boasting of their disgraceful exploits yes and glory in all the more the worse their baseness was what is worse i took pleasure in such exploits not for the pleasure's sake only but mostly for praise what is worthy of vituperation except vice itself yet i made myself out worse than i was in order that i might not go lacking for praise and when in anything i had not sinned as the worst ones in the group i would still say that i had done what i had not done in order not to appear contemptible because i was more innocent than they and not to drop in their esteem because i was more chaste behold with what companions i walked the streets of babylon i rolled in its mire and lolled about on it as if on a bed of spices and precious ointments and drawing me closely to the very centre of that city my invisible enemy trod me down and seduced me for i was easy to seduce my mother had already fled out of the midst of babylon and was progressing albeit slowly towards its outskirts for in counselling me to chastity she did not bear in mind what her husband had told her about me and although she knew that my passions were destructive even then and dangerous for the future 
she did not think that they should be restrained by the bonds of conjugal affection, if, indeed, they could not be cut away to the quick. She took no heed of this, for she was afraid lest a wife should prove a hindrance and a burden to my hopes. These were not her hopes of the world to come, which my mother had in thee, but the hope of learning, which both my parents were too anxious that I should acquire, my father because he had little or no thought of thee, and only vain thoughts for me, my mother because she thought that the usual course of study would not only be no hindrance, but actually a furtherant toward my eventual return to thee. This much I conjecture, recalling as well as I can the temperance of my parents. Meantime, the reins of discipline were slackened on me, so that without the restraint of due severity I might play at whatsoever I fancied, even to the point of dissoluteness. And in all this there was that mist which shut out from my sight the brightness of thy truth, O my God. And my iniquity bulged out, as it were, with fatness. Chapter 4 Theft is punished by thy law, O Lord, and by the law written in men's hearts, which not even ingrained wickedness can erase. For what thief will tolerate another thief stealing from him? Even a rich thief will not tolerate a poor thief who is driven to theft by want. Yet I had a desire to commit robbery, and did so, compelled to it by neither hunger nor poverty, but through a contempt for well-doing and a strong impulse to iniquity. For I pilfered something which I already had in sufficient measure, and of much better quality. I did not desire to enjoy what I stole, but only the theft and the sin itself. There was a pear tree close to our own vineyard, heavily laden with fruit, which was not tempting either for its colour or for its flavour. Late one night, having prolonged our games in the streets until then, as our bad habit was, a group of young scoundrels, and I among them, went to shake and rob this tree. We carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs, after barely tasting some of them ourselves. Doing this pleased us all the more, because it was forbidden. Such was my heart, O God, such was my heart, which thou didst pity even in that bottomless pit. Behold, now let my heart confess to thee what it was seeking there, when I was being gratuitously wanton, having no inducement to evil but the evil itself. It was foul, and I loved it. I loved my own undoing. I loved my error, not that for which I erred, but the error itself. A depraved soul, falling away from security in thee to destruction in itself, seeking nothing from the shameful deed but shame itself. Chapter 5 Now, there is a comeliness in all beautiful bodies, and in gold and silver and all things. The sense of touch has its own power to please, and the other senses find their proper objects in physical sensation. Worldly honour also has its own glory, 
and so do the powers to command and to overcome, and from these there springs up the desire for revenge. Yet, in seeking these pleasures, we must not depart from thee, O Lord, nor deviate from thy law. The life which we live here has its own peculiar attractiveness, because it has a certain measure of comeliness of its own and a harmony with all these inferior values. The bond of human friendship has a sweetness of its own, binding many souls together as one. Yet because of these values, sin is committed. Because we have an inordinate preference for these goods of a lower order, and neglect the better and the higher good, neglecting thee, O our Lord God, and thy truth and thy law. For these inferior values have their delights, but not at all equal to my God, who hath made them all. For in him do the righteous delight, and he is the sweetness of the upright in heart. When, therefore, we inquire why a crime was committed, we do not accept the explanation unless it appears that there was the desire to obtain some of those values which we designate inferior, or else a fear of losing them. For truly they are beautiful and comely, though in comparison with the superior and celestial goods they are abject and contemptible. A man has murdered another man. What was his motive? Either he desired his wife or his property, or else he would steal to support himself, or else he was afraid of losing something to him, or else, having been injured, he was burning to be revenged. Would a man commit murder without a motive, taking delight simply in the act of murder? Who would believe such a thing? Even for that savage and brutal man, of whom it was said that he was gratuitously wicked and cruel, there is still a motive assigned to his deeds. Lest through idleness, he says, hand or heart should grow inactive. And to what purpose? Why, even this, that, having once got possession of the city through his practice of his wicked ways, he might gain honours, empire, and wealth, and thus be exempt from the fear of the laws, and from financial difficulties in supplying the needs of his family, and from the consciousness of his own wickedness. So it seems that even Catiline himself loved not his own villainies, but something else, and it was this that gave him the motive for his crimes. Chapter 6 What was it in you, O theft of mine, that I, poor wretch, doted on, you deed of darkness, in that sixteenth year of my age? Beautiful you were not, for you were a theft. But are you anything at all, so that I could analyze the case with you? Those pears that we stole were fair to the sight, because they were thy creation. O beauty beyond compare, O creator of all, O thou good God, 
God the highest good and my true good. Those pairs were truly pleasant to the sight, but it was not for them that my miserable soul lusted, for I had an abundance of better pairs. I stole those simply that I might steal, for having stolen them, I threw them away. My sole gratification in them was my own sin, which I was pleased to enjoy, for if any one of those pears entered my mouth, the only good flavor it had was my sin in eating it. And now, O Lord my God, I ask what it was in that theft of mine that caused me such delight. For behold, it had no beauty of its own, certainly not the source of beauty that exists in justice and wisdom, nor such as is in the mind, memory senses, and the animal life of man, nor yet the kind that is the glory and beauty of the stars in their courses, nor the beauty of the earth, nor the sea, teeming with spawn in life, replacing in birth that which dies and decays. Indeed, it did not have that false and shadowy beauty which attends the deceptions of vice. For thus we see pride wearing the mask of high-spiritedness, although only thou, O God, art high above all. Ambition seeks honor and glory, whereas only thou shouldst be honours above all and glorified forever. The powerful man seeks to be feared because of his cruelty, but who ought really to be feared but God only? What can be forced away or withdrawn out of his power? When or where or whither or by whom? The enticements of the wanton claim the name of love, and yet nothing is more enticing than thy love, nor is anything loved more healthfully than thy truth, bright and beautiful above all. Curiosity prompts a desire for knowledge, whereas it is only thou who knowest all things supremely. Indeed, ignorance and foolishness themselves go masked under the names of simplicity and innocence, Yet there is no being that has true simplicity like thine, and none is innocent as thou art. Thus, it is that by a sinner's own deeds he is himself harmed. Human sloth pretends to long for rest, but what sure rest is there save in the Lord? Luxury would vain be called plenty and abundance, but thou art the fullness and unfailing abundance of unfading joy. Prodigality presents a show of liberality, but thou art the most lavish giver of all good things. Covetousness desires to possess much, but thou art already the possessor of all things. Envy contends that its aim is for excellence, but what is so excellent as thou? Anger seeks revenge, but who avenges more justly than thou? Fear recalls at the unfamiliar and the sudden changes which threaten things beloved and is wary for its own security. But what can happen that is unfamiliar or sudden to thee?
or who can deprive thee of what thou lovest? Where, really, is their unshaken security, save with thee? Grief languishes for things lost in which desire had taken delight, because it wills to have nothing taken from it, just as nothing can be taken from thee. Thus the soul commits fornication when she is turned from thee, and seeks apart from thee what she cannot find pure and untainted until she returns to thee. All things thus imitate thee, but pervertedly, when they separate themselves far from thee and raise themselves up against thee. But even in this act of perverse imitation they acknowledge thee to be creator of all nature and recognize that there is no place whither they can altogether separate themselves from thee. What was it then that I loved in that theft? And wherein was I imitating my Lord even in a corrupt and perverted way? Did I wish, if only by gesture, to rebel against thy law, even though I had no power to do so actually, so that, even as a captive, I might produce a sort of counterfeit liberty, by doing with impunity deeds that were forbidden in a deluded sense of omnipotence? Behold this servant of thine, fleeing from his lord and following a shadow. O rottenness! O monstrousness of life and abyss of death! Could I find pleasure only in what was unlawful and only because it was unlawful? Chapter 7 What shall I render unto the Lord for the fact that while my memory recalls these things my soul no longer fears them? I will love thee, O Lord, and thank thee and confess to thy name, because thou hast put away from me such wicked and evil deeds. To thy grace I attribute it, and to thy mercy, that thou hast melted away my sin as if it were ice. To thy grace also I attribute whatsoever of evil I did not commit. For what might I not have done, loving sin as I did, just for the sake of sinning. Yea, all the sins that I confess now to have been forgiven me, both those which I committed willfully and those which, by thy providence, I did not commit. What man is there who, when reflecting upon his own infirmity, dares to ascribe his chastity and innocence to his own powers, so that he should love thee less? as if he were in less need of thy mercy, in which thou forgivest the transgressions of those that return to thee. As for the man who, when called by thee, obeyed thy voice, and shunned those things which he here reads of me, as I recall and confess them of myself, let him not despise me. For I, who was sick, have been healed by the same physician by whose aid it was that he did not fall sick, or rather was less sick than I. And for this let him love thee just as much, indeed all the more, since he sees me restored from such a great wickedness of sin by the self-same Saviour by whom he sees himself preserved 
from such a weakness. Chapter 8 What profit did I, a wretched one, receive from those things which, when I remember them now, cause me shame? Above all, from that theft, which I loved only for the theft's sake. And, as the theft itself was nothing, I was all the more wretched in that I loved it so. Yet by myself alone I would not have done it. I still recall how I felt about this then. I could not have done it alone. I loved it then because of the companionship of my accomplices with whom I did it. I did not, therefore, love the theft alone. Yet, indeed, it was only the theft that I loved, for the companionship was nothing. What is this paradox? Who is it that can explain to me but God, who illumines my heart and searches out the dark corners thereof? What is it that has prompted my mind to inquire about it, to discuss and to reflect upon all this? For had I at that time loved the pears that I stole and wished to enjoy them, I might have done so alone, if I could have been satisfied with a mere act of theft by which my pleasure was served. Nor did I need to have that itching of my own passions inflamed by the encouragement of my accomplices. For since the pleasure I got was not from the pears, it was in the crime itself, enhanced by the companionship of my fellow sinners. Chapter 9 By what passion, then, was I animated? It was undoubtedly depraved and a great misfortune for me to feel it, but still, what was it? Who can understand his errors? We laughed because our hearts were tickled at the thought of deceiving the owners, who had no idea of what we were doing and would have strenuously objected. Yet again, why did I find such delight in doing this which I would not have done alone? Is it that no one readily laughs alone? No one does so readily, but still sometimes, when men are by themselves and no one else is about, a fit of laughter will overcome them when something very droll presents itself to their sense or mind. Yet alone I would not have done it. Alone I could not have done it at all. Behold, my God! The lively review of my soul's career is laid bare before thee. I would not have committed that theft alone. My pleasure in it was not what I stole, but rather the act of stealing. Nor would I have enjoyed doing it alone. Indeed, I would not have done it. O oh, friendship all unfriendly, you strange seducer of the soul, who hungers for mischief from impulses of mirth and wantonness, who craves another's loss without any desire for one's own profit or revenge so that when they say, Let's go, let's do it, we are ashamed not to be shameless. Chapter 10 Who can unravel such a twisted and tangled knottiness? It is unclean. I hate 
to reflect upon it. I hate to look on it. But I do long for thee, O righteousness and innocence, so beautiful and comely to all virtuous eyes. I long for thee with an insatiable satiety. With thee is perfect rest and life unchanging. He who enters into thee enters into the joy of his Lord and shall have no fear, and shall achieve excellence in the excellent. I fell away from thee, O my God, and in my youth I wandered too far from thee, my true support. And I became to myself a wasteland. End of Book 2 Confessions by Saint Augustine